Welcome everybody to another episode of Jokes. Uh, I don't even know what number to assign this, to be honest, because I'm not sure where it's going to go up. <laughs> I'm not but, sure uh, where we are either. I'll just, I think I'll that's actually it. fine. I think that's fine. We'll tag it there. It could be episode six, could be episode seven. It doesn't actually matter. In a way, this is a special episode because um, we're, we're um, trying to kind of, as a couple of white guys here, which we'll talk about that in a minute, um, dig into in a way that's familiar with us uh, in this particular podcast, um, the issues of uh, protests and um, the new story of George Floyd um, and the overall issue of police brutality um, and obviously uh, all the sort of things that have followed. Um, so the normal kind of check-in routine uh, will do it, but it's really kind of to check in to see what your experience has been and you know, encountering these protests and encountering that whole story. And then um, we've got a couple of fascinating jokes that we want to tell. You know, Eric and I kind of take some time to talk about comedians as prophets. And this is going to be one of those episodes where um, we'll, we're going to get a good look at just how prophetic um, their, uh, their humor can be. Um, so first things first, I'm sitting here as always with Eric. And uh, it's nice to see you. I see your hair is growing out. That's a good sign. It um, is, but I, I just today said I need to cut it again because it's, it just seems too the bald spots being covered now, and so it's so just, you're yeah you're just gonna you're planning on re-entering the world as a as a shaved head guy. That's the that's no, the, just that's a the maybe just a shorter hair guy. You okay. know, just yeah. So okay, I appreciate I, that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's easier. I'm lazy, and so <laughs> the ability just to roll out of the rack and kind of like not worry maybe just shake some of the some of the dandruff out and just get them away it's, it's, <coughs> that's what i do it's exactly what i do i i, I don't scratch let scratch it like a dog yeah my i you know my hair grows out for a little bit and then i and then i get sick of it to the, it grows out to the point where i feel like i have to do something about it and then i get sick of it and then i just shave it you know four all around three and then two and then uh kind of closer to the ears and and that's it. And I'm done. I've been doing that for um, 20 years, basically. Like mm. 19 years now at this point. Saved a lot of money. <laughs> Saved a yeah. Lot of money. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I consider the break even point, you know, my yeah. next haircut. You just, uh, and if I can just keep <laughs> it down, it'll be good. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I, I uh, my hair doesn't look good when it's long anyway, as I've said for years. Um, have you <laughs> oh yeah once it, once it gets it. starts getting long i look stupid i look uh unruly and somewhat like just uh, almost r ridiculously childlike like i don't know how to comb my hair or i don't know how to tie my <laughs> shoes i don't know how to like you would think getting close to me maybe i'll s smell of of unwiped butt that kind of stuff you know cool. so it's uh how do you feel about the bald-headed ponytail? You know those guys, no hair on top, but they work the sides and the back into a, like a gray, long, hippie ponytail? Uh, very few people can pull that off with any sort of uh, effectiveness. It has to be taken on a case-by-case -case basis. Generally opposed. Generally opposed. <laughs> don't, don't, don't think ponytails are all that great on too many people anyway. You know, when I was in high school, I had the the Steven Seagal. I oh, the, really? I, yeah, I grew the top. The top was really long, and I had the sides in the back shaved, and then uh, <laughs> pull it back into a ponytail every now and then. Let it down. 
but that was did my... you have to fight uh large groups of people to get to lunch yeah but it wasn't that hard because i would just like grab their wrist and turn it slightly and they'd like do like a flip <laughs> <laughs> right. isn't that kind of how it works with stevens it is how it works yeah that's how it works it's like in uh all the chuck norris movies where he's being confronted by machine guns and they seem they're just the worst shots ever mm -hmm. like he's just they cannot hit that guy and he's no, moving well, pretty slow yeah everybody knows that uh chuck norris's tears can cure cancer and it's a crying shame he never cries it, it, it is true it's true i think everybody does know that everyone I think knows that's, that yeah in seventh grade history that's talk. i think it is i think <laughs> it is oh man so uh yeah so what a, did you so watch you, the video by the way did you watch the video of george floyd being I did. Uh, you did. I did you watched the and whole thing I watched the whole thing. I don't, and I watched a couple of the other angles. And I, uh, Fuck. I, I typically don't watch that kind of stuff because yeah. it is so disturbing. And for some reason, I thought, wow, this is, and this was maybe two days after the event, so it had really started to gain momentum by that point. Yeah. And I, you know, I'd read enough about it where I was like, well, I got to see what's going on. It is as horrible as anything you've ever seen. It's. <sighs> as remorseless did you watch it no no i did not um and i i'm I, you know i think if i watched it i'd be out throwing rocks through windows for one thing um for another thing i have gone down the youtube rabbit hole of like the snuff youtube rabbit hole that you see out there sometimes so um uh, remember there was a young female protester in iran that was killed named neda and there was a big protest that kind of happened after that. And they showed that video and I watched that a couple of times of her dying. And then I went down the back and I don't know if you could still do it now, but back in the day, ISIS used to put up videos on YouTube showing. I didn't watch, I didn't watch those. I, I and, did. And that was out of, um, I, I, that was purposeful because I, I just, I mean, the descriptions of it were enough, but anyway, you watched, you watched, I watched the, those. Yeah, yeah, like I uh, watched those. The Perlman. Yeah, why well, didn't I didn't see the Daniel Perlman, the Daniel Pearl execution? Oh, but, Daniel Pearl, yeah, Daniel, Daniel Pearl, Pearl. But the ones, um, you know, where they've got like a bunch of, um, uh, you know, Sunni Muslims lined up, and they just, you know, in a row with just with their guns to the back of the head, and you just watch their bodies flip forward. And um, a bunch of years ago, you know, in a real dark place, I went down that tunnel. And, um, and did some internal damage to that process. So, you know, but I know what's in the video. Like I've, I've done enough, enough of a deep dive for the descriptions to know that he's calling out for his mother. Um, there's a smirk on the face of the officer as he's got his knee into his neck. Um, he's got his hand in his pocket, the officer does, just sitting there, no problem. I know he's handcuffed, so he's totally immobilized. There's nothing he can do. Um, and, uh, and then he stays on him for like an extra two minutes after he goes totally quiet. Um, so it's a straight that's, up lynching. I mean, that's, there's that's no yeah. fairly accurate. I, I don't know how, I mean, as, as an attorney, you know, I'm not a criminal attorney, but I, you know, I, I like to analyze how these things are characterized. I don't yeah. know if that's a smirk or if it is truly just so, um, emotionless and impassive that I mean, you could simply look at the face and say, why is there no emotion there? Why is there no concern? And the, the sort of blandness with which this process happens 
is maybe the most disturbing aspect of it. And this is tempered, by the way, Josh, of mm. having a whole crowd of people around shouting yeah. at the police to get off of him. Yeah. yeah. Shouting yeah. and telling them over and over and over to get off of him. Yeah. Now they're, they're not being nice about it, but there's no reason to be nice about it. You know, they're they're imploring them to get off. And yeah. the one police officer basically stands guard while the uh well, I guess his name is Three Chauvin. Others. Yeah. Yeah. Chauvin Chauvin, has the knee. Chauvin's got the knee in the neck, and then there are two others that are that have that have got his legs immobilized. Um, yeah. like legs and body immobilized. Um yeah, I've seen still shots of it. There's one still shot where you can kind of see it looks like almost saliva like coming out of his mouth at one, you know, towards the end. That's you can kind of tell that he's he's in real trouble right there, if not dead. Um, and uh, it's just it's just fucking horrific. Um, it's absolutely horrific. Apparently, they knew each other. Like Chauvin knew Floyd. Apparently, that there was like Floyd had done some um, like bouncer type stuff like security type stuff at, at like concerts or something. And Chauvin was there and apparently they, they actually knew each other. So yeah. yeah un, unclear. I think that'll yeah. come out. Maybe, maybe at trial, maybe some other way. They certainly yeah. were scheduled at the same club or at the same location, having mm -hmm. run security. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's agreed upon. Uh, the, you know, the, without any further description of it, what this is really, you know, I, I've never seen an outpouring like this nationwide on this particular issue. Not in my lifetime, right. not right. in my lifetime. I was born yeah. in 72. Mm -hmm. And so the uprisings of the late sixties had ended. Um, notably, uh, there were still race troubles nationwide, obviously. I mean, mm -hmm. there were still the very next year in 73, the Boston, school system mm -hmm. uh, began busing for integration mm -hmm. uh you know the great progressive city of boston right uh, it is not it is not it is not, <laughs> it is uh, not. Yeah. yeah boston is as racist as they come it, it is I, yeah. I lived up there for a year and a half and i was shocked at like basically if you're on the green line and you're you're going down toward the symphony and you pass Northeastern university, you might as well put up a wall where Roxbury begins. Yep. And it's yep. like, whoop, this is where you guys get off. Just look at the history of the Celtics and the Red Sox in terms oh, of, uh, you know, when they actually started bringing in African-Americans to join their team. I think the Red Sox were the last of the MLB to do it. I think you're correct. Yeah. Um, I mean, there the was Celtics had a quota. The Celtics, it was like just one, you know, nothing more than that. The Celtics, it was a real quota. And, um, uh, they, you know, the relationships between, um, the African American players in Boston was famously not pretty, famously not pretty. There was the incident of Reggie Lewis, right? When he, uh, was arrested on his front lawn because mm -hmm. he was, he was simply going home, but mm -hmm. he was black and he lived in a white neighborhood. Yep. He, white neighborhood yeah whatever that means whatever that yeah. means that means an, an affluent neighborhood which yeah um tends to discriminate yeah um and yeah and so that's you know that's the oj simpson rodney king all mm -hmm. of that event you know and there were national consequences to that but nothing like this this is 
every day and it's constant and the streaming media aspect of it, the things that we didn't have yeah. even 10 years ago yep. are um, proving to be the most valuable tools in deconstructing the internecine problems that are re represented by the two jokes that were that you uh, somehow remembered and or found and managed yeah. to tackle. So, yeah. how did you find these jokes? Tell us what they are. Well, so we we got two jokes that we wanted to share today. Um, one is a joke um, by Dave Chappelle, and the other Richard Pryor. Um, both obviously brilliant African American comedians, godfathers of um, comedy. There are many people who would argue that Dave Chappelle is the best comedian alive today. Um, many of them comedians, by the way. And um, Richard Pryor, along with uh, Steve Martin, are the kind of you know the the fathers of modern comedy in terms of how folks um, think of them and and what they brought. You know that you had comedians um, who you know told jokes that had certain types of structure. If you think about like Seinfeld or someone like that, Richard Pryor came in and he was a storyteller. You know he's talking about um, cocaine addiction and lighting himself on fire and. Uh, um, you know, um, all sorts of drug problems and all kinds of things. And so he, he brings the personal kind of tale to comedy in a, in a way that was um, really unique at the time and had obviously a huge impact on comedy today. Um, so Chappelle did a joke back in the 90s um, about police brutality that I remember watching live. And then it just so happens that on Spotify, they've got um, the Black Lives Matter kind of, um, I don't know what you'd call it, mix, I guess. Um, and this uh, Richard Pryor um, bit was on there. And when I, I was first thinking, hey, we should do a show just about Chappelle. And then when I heard that thing, I was like, holy fuck. I was like, oh my God. I mean, we're gonna, you're gonna see here in a bit, um, by you, I mean the listener, you know, how similar these jokes are. And when you think about how far apart they are uh, in terms of time, it's, it's pretty stunning. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we'll have a chance to get into that. Um, I think it's, it, before we do that, it probably makes a little bit of sense to um, just name, uh, to name, you know, um, an awkward kind of thing here in that um, we're a couple of white guys um, talking here about, um, about um, you know, Black Lives Matter and that movement. Um, at the same time, neither of us are exactly a couple of white guys. Um, me, you know, with my Jewish background and you with your Native American background, the difference being that, like, easy peasy, I can just blend in as a white guy, 100% blend in as a white guy. And I, I think probably you feel the same way. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and what, what that means is essentially to be able to, as, as you and I discussed early in the week, to use that word pass, to pass yeah. Yeah. Uh, through society without um, any question. No one, no one ever asks me where I'm from. They yeah. don't look at me and say, where are you from? You know, because I look like I could be from anywhere. I could be, yeah. frankly, any um, European yep. ethnicity. I yep. mean, if, if there is, in fact, several European ethnicities, which yeah. there are, yeah. but it doesn't matter because ultimately the tone of my voice, the nasality of my speaking, the way that I walk, the clothes that I wear, the skin that I have, my nose, yep. my face, my eyes, I am white. That white yep. guy. Yep. The neighborhood I live in. Yep. And, and same thing with me. You know, I, I've got the Jewish thing going on. Um, and some might call me uh, uh, smart. Sm, sm, what do you call it? Swar swarthy? <laughs> swarthy? <laughs> <laughs> right? 
dark, <laughs> darker skin, dark hair, um, but a hundred percent white guy. And um, never once have I, you know, like rehearsed what to do when a police officer pulls me over in terms of like, keep your hands on the wheel. Don't get your license till they get there. Ask them if you can open your glove compartment. I mean, when I get pulled over by the police, I'm leaning over, reaching in, grabbing my wallet from my from the back of my pants right there. Um, I'm not worried about them seeing my hands. I'm just doing that, you know. So um, I, I uh, and I kind of talk about this. We recorded I recorded an episode of Sunshine and Brain with um, uh, my best friend Andre and his girlfriend, uh, both of whom are African American. Andre and I recorded an episode of Sunshine and Brain back in April and put it up. And um, you know. I have a really kind of tough feeling connected to that episode now because while I'm really proud of it, you know, it's such a nice representation of our friendship. Not once did we bring up the fact that Andre is black and that that would have had an impact on his, uh, his mental health. Not once. And he did allude at it at one point in the episode where he said, you know, certain socioeconomic reasons or whatever, and kind of like jumps past it there, but I didn't stop him. I didn't pull him back. And it didn't even come up once. Like you would have had to, like look at his webpage to know that I was talking to a black man just then. And um, at first, after the episode, when we put it up, I was like proud of that, you know, where I was like, check me out. I'm a post-racial white guy with a black friend and it never came, it never comes up that he's black and then I'm white. We're just friends and that's it. Um, and now I'm actually kind of ashamed of that um, because what I realized is, is that, to be a post-racial white guy is really a position of, of a lot of privilege um, because Andre and his girlfriend, Jessica and every other African-American and every other, you know, POC in America, person of color in America doesn't have that option to just melt into the white people woodwork that like you and I can. And because um, there's no such thing yeah. as a post-racial person, African-American. Right. Or a, post-racial person of color yeah. that is unfortunately bred in the bone of the eye line and the eyesight of yeah. American citizenry. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it just, it just is. Mm -hmm. And there is a great movement. If you go out on the streets today, you will see that it's, I, I don't know how it was in the sixties. I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I'm educated enough to, have any recollection of the films as to the proportion of uh, non-persons um, non of color, like how many white people were out in those marches. But here, you, you can see cities where it's almost entirely white people marching for Black Lives Matter yeah. and yeah. marching on behalf of it. And I think that's a tremendous shift and recognizing the injustices that are built into the system. Yep. Uh, you know, essentially, the fear is that the system is itself a continuation of slavery and a killing machine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think when you unpack the numbers and you really look at it, it's hard to argue that it's not. You know, um, I mean, think about what uh, what type of labor uh, the prison population represents um, and what you can do with them labor wise. Um, and think about the percentages in terms of, you know, what brings African-Americans to prison versus what brings white people to prison. Um, I have this uh, indelible memory of being uh, in a, you know, upstate California, nobody says that, Northern California um, for my sister Rachel's wedding. And um, one, of her, uh, one of her best friends, husband's African-American man, 
and a bunch of us kind of stepped outside to the park. Um, and we were going to, you know, right out there in public, Northern California, we were going to share a joint, um, rolled up a couple of joints and we were just going to pass it around and share it. And, uh, you know, got to all of us white guys and we took our puff puff pass and it got to him and he was like, no, thanks. And this dude is a pretty avid smoker. And it was like, um, why? He was like, Josh, come on. We're in public. Look at me. You know, you can smoke weed in public. I cannot. And I was like, oh. And, and you know, all these little kind of moments where, you know, throughout my life, I can point to these sort of learning moments where, you know, I'm not cognizant of like what that feels to people. Um, and meanwhile, one of my absolute best friends and so many people who I love, this is shit that's like on their mind all the time. Um, so, you know, I can, I mean, I, I, as a Jewish person, you know, I'm definitely taught growing up that everybody hates me. Um, and that there's a you know long history of shit like the Holocaust and stuff like that. But like, aside from the handful of anti-Semitic things that I've encountered in my life, it doesn't really affect me. You know, and I go to the mall during Christmas time and it's Christmas carols being played in the background. We've talked about this before in this podcast. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my friend Andre having his, you know, one of his best friends be a Jewish guy. He notices that shit in the mall. You know, he's like, yeah, you know, those are all the Christmas songs. But like, think of all those Jewish people who are walking around going, you know, what's all this Christmas music about? <laughs> and he thinks about it in that space. Um, so maybe I need to make a shift. And every time I pass a police officer, put myself in his shoes for a second and think about, you know, the nervousness or whatever. So um, it's in that spirit I, that, yeah. I don't, I don't think that's even possible. I don't think that you can in here, the, yeah. the, the uh, a fear for your life every time, you know, it, it just, um, it At least just remember that he it, does, you know? Yeah. 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 And I think that, I think that both guys, I think both Chappelle and uh, Pryor, especially Pryor is such a poet in that his economy in imparting his, um, imparting his point, yeah. especially in this bit we're going to look, we're going to listen to is kind of amazing. It, it is yeah. a minute and 34 seconds long and is most economic statement on, uh, what he, uh, on fear, um, class, uh, the sort of constant, pejorative position of African-Americans. It's really quite something. And, and I remember, Ch go ahead, what were you yeah. going to say? No, go ahead. I was going to say about Chappelle, but you go ahead and carry on with uh, this. No, Chappelle's going to talk about a thing that I like remember. In other words, like I remember reading articles in the newspaper about exactly the thing that he's talking about. Um, that uh, um, is, it's amazing. And it just didn't occur to me that like, that's what was, going on so we should probably get to it I, you know i'm a little torn and do you think we should do the Chappelle one first and then richard Pryor, or do richard Pryor first and then Chappelle? I, I was actually thinking about that as as i was talking a couple minutes ago and um hard to tell hard, hard to, to tell. tell right because in one it's like you know well here's go ahead go ahead no i was gonna say what. well here's one that's you know that's, uh, um, you know, really recent and we can relate to a lot of it. Well, not really recent, 20 years ago, but we can relate to a lot of it. And then like, holy fuck, go back to the 70s and here's a whole other one that's so similar, you know, or even the reverse. Start with the prior and just like look at what he's talking about. Listen to the people laughing 
And then fast forward about 20 years, and here's the exact same joke. You know what I mean? I, I don't really know. It's like maybe I think we do. I think we do Chappelle first. I think he, right. his is the longer bit. I think his, uh, it's because then we can reflect back on almost, I see prior almost as like a, a summary <laughs> or, or a, a distillation, a condensation of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's do it. Um, okay. So start with Chappelle. Yeah. Start with Chappelle. So this is from his, um, killing, killing me softly. So black people are very afraid of the police. There's a big part of our culture. Don't matter how rich you are, how old you are. We're just afraid of them. We got, we got every reason to be afraid of them. You know what I mean? Like you're a white lady. You ever been pulled over before? You know, and what they say, let me see your driver's license and your registration, right? See? See, I'm just guessing. <laughs> That's not what they say to us. I mean, you wouldn't believe what they say to us. Spread your cheeks and lift your sack. Like, what the fuck? Excuse me? You heard me spread open your cheeks and lift your sack. I got a driver's license, too. There's easier ways to prove who I am and shit. What does that prove? I can't go to the bank like that. Cash my check. What do you mean you don't have any ID? Wait a minute. Sorry, Mr. Chappelle, right this way. Why didn't you spread your cheeks in the beginning? Scared of them. <laughs> Serious, man. You'll be at a red light, the police might pull up next to you. It won't be no big deal for you, but you know what? Well, I'll fucking fall apart. Oh, 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 no. oh, don't look over there. Nicole. I didn't always know that was a black thing. It took me a while to figure that out. I learned, I learned that shit in New York. I was in New York City. Now, I was hanging out with a friend of mine. He's a white guy, you know. We were just hanging out. And we were lost in the city, you know, we were smoking a joint. Now, I don't know if it was a coincidence that we were lost and high and shit, but... <laughs> My white buddy, he was smoking a joint. Dave, Dave, it's the goddamn cops. I'm going to ask him for directions. I said, Chip, no, Chip, don't do it. It was too late. He was walking over there. This man was high as shit. Excuse me. Excuse me, sir. Touching him and shit. Excuse me. You need some information. Uh, start confessing things you shouldn't confess. I'm a little high. All I want to know, which way is Third Street? The cop was like, hey, take it easy. You're on Third Street. You better be careful. Go ahead, move it. Move it. That's all that happened. That's the end of the story. <laughs> now, I know that's not amazing to some of you, but you ask one of these black fellows, that shit is fucking incredible, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry, a black man would never dream of talking to the police high. 
That's a waste of weed. I'd be scared to talk to the police when I'm sleeping. They fuck around and get the wrong ideas. And... <gasps> oh my god. That nigga was on PCP, Johnson. I had to use necessary force. You saw him. No, no, no paperwork. Just just sprinkle some crack on him. Let's get out of here. That's how it is. But at the time, I didn't think there was anything racial about it. I was just like, man, Chip, you got fucking lucky. You better be careful. But then another time, me and Chip are driving. Now, I'm not driving. Chip is driving, and he's driving a little crazy. He's been drinking. Now, I don't like to let my friends drive drunk, but, you know, I was smoking a joint. I couldn't really say shit to the guy. I was... red light. We stop at a red light and a car pulls up next to us and I'll never forget it. Chippy looks at me, he's all drunk and she's like, Dave I'm gonna race him. I knew it was a bad idea but I was high. I tried to explain to him it was a bad idea but all that came out was, well nigga, sometimes you gotta race, huh? That light turned green and Chip took off. Zigzagging and shit so no one could pass. And I don't know didn't know he was racing. <laughs> then the police seen us and pulled us over. Now you understand, I'm scared of shit. I mean, come on, the car smells like weed. I mean, speeding, this man is fucking drunk. I was scared. Chip was not scared at all. It was weird. He didn't even turn his radio down. Isn't that weird a little bit? I mean, if you get pulled over, wouldn't you turn your radio down? Nobody want to get their ass beat to a soundtrack and shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, Chip had the music blasting. We're not gonna take it. What do you mean, Dave? Just relax. <gasps> Close your butt cheeks. Just relax. <laughs> Let me do the talking. You want to know what he said? This is almost exactly what he said. I, I couldn't believe it. He says, oh, oh, oh. Sorry, officer. I... I didn't know I couldn't do that. I was fucking shocked. The cop said, well, now you know. Just get out of here. Just get the fuck out of here. She said, okay, I'll... I will, sir. Thank you. What? What's wrong with you, Dave? I didn't know I couldn't do that. So that was good, wasn't it? Because I did know I couldn't do that. Shocked. I wasn't shocked at the audacity. I was just shocked because I would have never thought to say that. I don't think any black dude would think to say that because they know we know the law. 
Every black dude in this room is a qualified paralegal and shit. He knows the law. If one of us even start to do something wrong, an old black man would pop out of nowhere. Nigga, don't do that. That's five to ten. Watch out. Well, we know the laws and the penalties. Got Chip didn't even know he couldn't race. I'm not saying I don't like police. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I'm just scared of them. Nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we want to call them too. Somebody broke into my house once. It's a good time to call them, but I don't know. Uh-uh. House is too nice. It ain't a real nice house, but they never believe I lived in it. Oh, he's still here. Oh my God. Open and shut case. Johnson. I saw this once before when I was a rookie. Apparently, the snigger broke in and hung up pictures of his family everywhere. Well, let's sprinkle some crack on him and get out of here. Oh, you know, that's a, that's a whole brutality thing. It's, see, that's common knowledge now. There was a time when only minorities really knew about that. I'm not going to say white people didn't believe us, but you were a little skeptical. You were a little skeptical. I mean, I don't blame you. And then Newsweek printed it and he knew it was true. And then the Newsweek wife was like, oh my God. Honey, <laughs> did you see this? Apparently the police have been beating up Negroes like hotcakes. <laughs> to the May issue. I mean, really, how could you know, though? How could anyone else know? You know. I mean, maybe you should have seen something a little suspicious. Don't you think it was like a little suspicious? Just a little suspicious? Every dead black person the police find... Has crack sprinkled on him? I mean, come on. Come on, man. Who gets shot and sprinkles crack on themselves? Nobody will come. Bam! Oh, oh. That's the joke. I, uh, I remember reading articles about um, the police discovering dead African Americans with crack sprinkled on them. I, like really? that is that is real. Yeah, that is. I, I remember multiple articles in the newspaper as a kid reading about an African American found dead with cracks sprinkled on them. I remember that, and I remember thinking to myself, reading it, I just it didn't like it didn't make sense to me. You know, like I mean, I was a kid. And I didn't put two and two together and I hadn't done like any drugs at all at that point. But like when you watch someone roll a joint and you see how precious every little crumb and speck of marijuana is to put in that joint and how like how careful they are with that shit. What are the chances that they're leaving cracks sprinkled all over a person? You know what I mean? Like you're picking it all up. And second of all, what open vials are they carrying crack in that when they fall down, it just like goes everywhere? <laughs> like it just didn't, nothing about that makes sense. But, uh, but I'm telling you, like that is a thing. That's absolutely a thing. That sounds like a calling card more than it does even some sort of weird police justification. It sounds like something a serial killer would do in, <laughs> you know, like, Oh, we found uh, 
you know, we found a, a, a squirrel disembodied, you know, in the living room. Obviously, it's the squirrel killer. Here, yeah. it's sprinkling crack. That's that's bizarre. It's that, so it was, patently one, offensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mixtape killings, too. Remember those? Where they were like like rap killings, and they were like they were found with like a mixtape on them or something like that. And um, <laughs> again, it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? What are you talking about? But I I remember the um I remember the crack killings. Like that was like really really a thing. I totally remember that. Was um, that New York? Yeah, that was in New York, um, upstate New York, no less. Like I remember reading about that shit in high school. Like they would somebody would be found in like Middletown, New York, or Newburgh, New York. A dead African American with, and they would call it a crack killing because there was crack sprinkled all over them. So this message is essentially Dave Chappelle setting out one of the most preposterous but real things. Because I, I felt like he was just making that up, you know, like because out of humor to say, "Hey, you know, these white cops will just take the most base stereotype mm-hmm. and uh, attempt to make justification by." saying, well, by implying that, oh, you know, crack is a problem in black neighborhoods. Clearly this person, you know, was high or a a problem. And so he needed to be killed. And look, there's crack all over him. He was so, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous, but that's the scenario that, uh, that Chappelle is using. Yeah. Yeah. He's painting it as if it's ridiculous. But the thing is, is that like that was actually happening. Um, And you juxtapose that to the attitude of his friend, you know, the one thing about like the podcast medium for this and just the audio is you don't see some of the, you know, the miming that he does. But when his friend sees the cop in New York and he's like, Dave, Dave, and he he takes a puff of his joint and he goes, uh, it's the goddamn cops. And then takes another puff of his joint. (laughs) I'm going to ask him for directions, (laughs) you know, like that's where he goes. And, you know, when you look at that, like as a white person in the nineties, you know, you could probably do that today. You could absolutely do that um, as a white person, but you don't have that. Uh, you can't do that as a black person, even, even at all. You know, so here's this like totally lackadaisical attitude about interacting with the cops that he's representing with his friend. And he's pointing out how completely audacious it seems to him, you know, because of the way that he's the way that he's raised. And then you juxtapose that with he gets his house broken into. He's not even going to call the police because they're going to come there and think he's the guy. <laughs> You know, and there are plenty of examples of that being, you know, going awry where, Mm -hmm. you know, a black homeowner calls the cops and ends up being beaten or put in jail. Yeah. Um, Really, there there can't possibly be a justification because can you possibly find me a counterexample where the same thing happens to uh, a white homeowner? You you can't. No, you can't. It's not going to happen. And it is uh, it is a. There, there's a presumption of guilt on one mm-hmm. side and a presumption of innocence on the other. And it is completely unjustified. And the thing is that particular bit that Chappelle has is exemplary of this word. You hear so many words being bandied about during mm-hmm. this time that they start to lose meaning. Mm-hmm. The idea of privilege, right? The idea mm-hmm. of white privilege, mm-hmm. you know, people say, well, what does that mean? Well, it, it means, and it doesn't, it means that you are able to um, have a presumption of an excuse or a justification. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And when you're doing something that requires justification or excuse by others. Yeah. So um, white privilege example here, smoking a joint goes up to a cop and says, I'm a little high. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. But he knows that nothing's going to happen to him. Sorry. Why? Because he's probably, you know, the cop would say, he's well, he's hundred percent right. Just, yeah. yeah, just, you know, it's just how having some fun, not a big mm-hmm. deal. Mm-hmm. And if Chappelle had done the same thing, it would have been like, oh, yeah, here and go, you know, drug using black guy. Yep. That is that is the presumption. It's hard to talk about these things because the the fact of the matter is when I set out these conjectures, it's easily rebuttable saying, you know, police will say, that's not what I'm thinking. There's no way that yeah. I'm thinking that. But it's yeah. not police. It's bread in the bone as i said it's bread in the bone of american society to think the worst of minorities to think the worst of those that um aren't of a certain you know polo shirt wearing class Mm -hmm. and it's very very harmful and obviously it makes life so much more difficult on a daily basis and for Chappelle to point out that basically a white guy can lie to a cop and it's a preposterous lie <laughs> get away with it mm-hmm. and it just doesn't even matter you know it just doesn't even boom. matter yeah 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 absolutely you know i, I didn't think know about, i couldn't do that i didn't know i couldn't do that you know i think about like um uh you know i i got a new car um a number of months ago and i purchased a used fucking 2012 uh bmw x five or whatever. I got it at my next three. I got it for like, you know, 13,000, 12,000, something like that for like next to nothing. And I can drive that car around and love it and not be worried about getting pulled over because I don't belong in it. Do you know what I mean? Like, whereas, you know, I, I tell that to an African-American, it's like, I got to take that into consideration. You know, you get pulled over because they think you just don't fit in the car. Um, that it just, you know, they think you might be you might, you might've stole it, you know? And it, when you have a chance to listen to the sunshine and brain episode after I've edited it and put it up, you know, um, my friend Andre is a lifelong walker and the amount of times he got pulled over walking is unbelievable. That's, you know, I'm like, why did you get pulled over walking? He's like WWB, you know, walking while black. That's, that's, that's all it is. Um, you know, maybe somebody called the cops on him. Maybe they just the officer passed him and just thought, well, let me just check this guy out or whatever. Um, but, that's never happened to me ever, you know, no. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's just, uh, it's just ridiculous. So, you know, and that sort of thing, you know, I went to law school. Mm-hmm. I'm not a criminal lawyer. Mm-hmm. I took criminal procedure. Mm-hmm. Like there has to be reasonable suspicion mm-hmm. to even initiate contact with a person. It goes to that whole stop and frisk thing and how patently illegal that really was reasonable suspicion. I think for a lot of officers just comes down to, man, he looked, he looked black, you know, yeah. or he, he yeah. looked Hispanic or he looked 20 mm-hmm. and a minority. And so, you know, he was having fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's that kind of thing. What's the reasonable suspicion? There isn't one, but is anyone ever going to challenge it? No, impossible. Yeah. So impossible. Yep. Yeah. It's, um, 
It's, it's awful. Um, how do you feel about laughing at these jokes? How do you feel about laughing? at? Oh, they're, joke? well, they're intended to be laughed at. I think that Chappelle is funny because I think he turns some of the best comedy, the comedy of I, I've, I've really, really loved is the comedy that turns um, the normal, the expected, everyone's mm. comfort zones and just mm. beats the fuck out of it just yeah. makes it turns it upside down twists it and says hey guess what this is really this is going to be really uncomfortable um and i i love that and it uh it challenges even even people who will sit in their uh in the comfort of their own ideology and say i'm a post-racial josh or post-racial eric yep and say are you really and you have to be open to it if you're offended by it then you're going to remain part of the problem yep. if you don't understand that the humor that, that what's making you laugh is the discomfort of knowing there's truth there knowing that it has to be changed and being willing to say okay i i, I get you i can shift on it i think it, if comedy isn't meant to be laughed at, then what is it? Yeah. You know, I mean, th these guys, but it also, and this is where I think maybe some people misunderstand the point of comedy is that it isn't meant to be ignored. It's not meant to be laughed off. Yeah. It's meant to be laughed at and yeah. inhered and used to educate yourself Yeah, because comedians are truly some of the most creative intelligent artists out there if not yeah. the most verbally prolific yeah um so i i get where Chappelle is coming from and he constantly surprises me with how uh, amazing his takes are on things how much trouble he's willing to get himself into because he takes the mm -hmm. um antithetical position mm -hmm. you're like oh that's not the typical woke position in right. fact, it's twisting it up. Yeah. So long, long answer to your question. I feel perfectly great laughing at it. He has an, he has an amazing ability to um, kind of bring a certain aspect of silly to these really serious topics that, um, that if, for me, at least, if I'm not careful, I get caught up in the silly and I miss the seriousness of it. So like he recently in one of his recent specials, did a bit about the Jesse Smollett incident. Um, and the whole entire bit is that he calls him Juicy Smoulier the whole time. <laughs> That's the whole bit because Jesse is, smell, is spelled Juicy, you know, J-U-S-S-I-E or whatever. And uh, Smollett, you know, with the you know silent E if you make it French. So he just calls him Juicy Smoulier the whole time. And, uh, and that's, that's what makes it funny is just the fact that he gets his name wrong. Um, and then he, and then there are later parts that make it funny too. Um, but that silliness, you know, it's like a really serious thing, but he put this layer of silliness there. You know, if you're not careful with this joke that we shared here, it's, it's almost a joke about drugs. Um, and it can, it can be construed as a joke about drugs. Cause that bit about, you know, where his friend's like, Dave, I'm going to race him. And he's like, you know, and I wanted to tell him that it was a bad idea. But I was high, so all that came out was, you know, well, you know, sometimes you gotta race, you know. It's like <laughs> <laughs> right. He, even feels he was in a position to 
to yeah. stand against it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you know, the first time I saw it, that was the part that kind of made me laugh the hardest because I'm watching it, you know, as a, you know, I guess pothead at the time. And it's like, yeah, you know, that's, that's what, that's what made me laugh the hardest was that kind of piece there, but he's doing so much more in that joke. Um, and that's just a little piece of silly that's like bringing the humor, but actually what he's sharing is something really, really serious, you know? So yeah. it's yeah. brilliant. Obviously it's brilliant. Um, and you know, prophetic and in the Bible, a prophet isn't just someone who tells the future. Um, that's kind of like not really the important thing that a prophet does in the Bible. The thing that a prophet does for the most part is interpret the present. Um, that's like where their big effort is. Um, and so when you think of like who the modern day prophets are, um, the idea of it being comedians, especially in this case, you know, with guys like Chappelle, um, who's telling this joke like this, I mean, it's, it's prophecy and, uh, and nothing has changed, you know? 2020 and it's the same it's the same thing so it's horrifying absolutely yeah. horrifying. Um, it, it is um let's let's flip on the prior cops put a hurting on your ass man you know they really degrade you white folks don't believe that shit don't believe cops degrade oh come on those beatings those people are resisting arrest i'm taught this harassment of police officers because the police live in your neighborhood see and you be known them as officer timpson Hello, Officer Timpson. Going bowling tonight? Yes, uh, nice pinto you have. <laughs> Niggas don't know I'm like that. See, white folks get a ticket, they pull over. Hey, officer, yes, glad to be of help. <laughs> Nigga got to be talking about, I am reaching into my pocket for my license. Because <laughs> I don't want to be no motherfucking accident. Police degrade. I don't know. You know, it's awful. You wonder why a nigga don't go completely mad. <laughs> no, you do. You get your shit together. You work all week, right? And then you get dressed. You make it. You say, can't make $125. We get $80 if he's lucky. <laughs> right? And he go out, get clean, be driving with his old lady, going out to a club, and police pull over. Get out of the car. That was a robbery. A nigga looks just like you. <laughs> all right, put your hands up. Take your pants down. Spread your cheeks. <laughs> Now, what nigga feel like having fun after that? <laughs> no, let's just go home, baby. You go home, beat your kids and shit. You're going to take that shit out on somebody. I mean, I think every single part of that joke is a complete and pure indictment and reflection of the injustice uh, that um, we see now on TV and on the internet, on all social media for the past two weeks. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it starts, it just starts off cops beat your ass, you know, mm -hmm. like boom, there is your thesis sentence. You get an A, Mr. Yeah. Pryor, yeah. For writing the perfect thesis sentence. Yeah. And then he goes into the, uh, the stark contrast. It's, it could be expository, but it's very much whenever he's expo whenever he's being expository, he's giving an example. They live in your neighborhood. They see you as people. They don't live in our neighborhoods. They don't yeah. see us as people. Yeah. 
you know, and when I get pulled over, I don't just say, well, you're doing your job. Golly, I'll pay the fee. You have to make sure you don't get killed for speeding or for running a stop sign Mm -hmm. or for whatever mundane thing, whatever this idea of a $20 counterfeit bill that allegedly George Floyd attempted to pass. Really? Is that, is that something, I don't know. I've read a lot of death penalty cases, eighth amendment cases. I don't think that that's, uh, I don't think that that's uh, commensurate with the crime. No. Yeah. You know, absolutely not. Yeah. None of it is. None of it is. And so you have that contrast. And again, you have the, the white player and the black player and you have, you know, prior pushing it through. And then you have the perfect example of a guy who works hard all week. He's playing by the rules, gets paid, wants to take his, his girl out for, you know, a a nice Friday night Mm -hmm. gets pulled over. And what's the same thing in this joke as in the Chappelle joke, spread your cheeks, spread your cheeks, pull your pants down because what, even if it's figurative or real, it is how can I humiliate you most? That's right. That's in right. the most efficient way. That's right. That's right. And how can I make you hate your life yep. most? Because yep. you follow the rules, but guess what? Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. You aren't me. Fuck yeah. you. I'm going to humiliate you. And yeah. then you go home. And this is where that last line I thought was so important, you know, makes you. It, it just makes you want to quit, but it, you know, makes you want to beat your kids. Like, is there nothing more horrible than to see society oppress a class of people to the point where their only expression of their pain is Science. to be a perpetuation yeah. of that pain generation yeah. to generation. Yeah. That is one of the, that may be one of the finest jokes he you'll ever listen to. Because frankly, underneath it, there's nothing funny about it. And you learn everything from a minute and 34 seconds. It's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant in that way. Um, I don't think I could add anything to what you just said just now. Um, yeah, you, you nailed it 100%. You know, it's insane. It's insane. The absolute, you know, desire to humiliate in that way is just fucking, I don't know, it's heartbreaking. You know, it is heart it is heartbreaking and it is right. absolutely on patent display um, mm-hmm. over the past two weeks. And because we now have, like I said earlier, now we have these cameras, these phones, we have the ability for individuals to, to record this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have some police, uh, police departments attempting and some jurisdictions attempting to restrict that attempting to put ordinances around recording, and they have, but yeah. guess what? It is patently unconstitutional. There's no right to privacy. There's no, re- as we say in criminal procedure, no reasonable expectation of privacy. Nope. These are public people acting on a public basis, and their uh-huh. attempt to restrict it is mm-hmm. a violation of constitutional rights. And not only that, it's a violation of human rights because yeah. you have a right to the same ground as anyone else just because they're wearing a uh, a helmet and a gun. The only thing that has is the sheer force that they could hurt you, but you have mm-hmm. just as much right to that ground as they do. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Oh God. You know, and, and the other, we know it's not an issue of training. 
um, because they seem to be able to arrest white people alive. You know, if, if, the, if they can fucking bring in the Boston bombers without killing them, then they can arrest somebody without, you know, they can arrest George Floyd without killing. Um, you know, they, they seem to be able to do that. So it's not an issue of training at all. They've got, they've got all the training they need to, to bring people in without killing them. Um, but that's not what they want to do. Right. I mean, he, well, and the question is why do they want to bring them in at all? I mean, I, I think you look at the types of crimes, quote unquote crimes, and we know that crimes, nonviolent crimes, things that, you know, can be resolved through citation. And and the thing is, a lot of these things are so de minimis and silly um, and property crimes. Yeah. Nobody likes to be robbed. I get, you know, my house was burglarized. Um, It sucks. You feel really scared. You know, there's that, that fear that is, is part and parcel there. And you're just like, ah, Somebody was in here and they took my stuff. Yeah. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. Like you, you, you're alive. Yeah. You're not dead. Yeah. You know, and, and these, you know, somebody tried to pass a 20 at a, uh, you know, a corner store and yeah, the owner was like, okay, it's my civic duty maybe to report this. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's bad because essentially it's like stealing from me. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a death penalty case? I don't think so. And no. is it is it something that warrants uh, going to jail? You know, <laughs> I, I I wonder if it had been a eighteen year old white girl who tried to pass a fake twenty. What would have happened to her? Slap on the wrist. They would have just assumed that she picked it up somewhere and was just trying to spend it somewhere that she didn't know the difference. Exactly. It would be a yes. funny story. Later yeah. On. Th- by the way, that that's exactly what would happen to me too. You know, yeah. I went to Seven Eleven. I I paid with a fifty. I got a I got a twenty back. I didn't know. You know, it was counterfeit. And then I tried to spend, buy something with it, and that was it. Right. You know, call the cops on me. Come over. Oh my god, are you serious? Like I I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. Oh, okay, just be careful. You know. <laughs> right. You get that talking to. On your well, way. You gotta be. You gotta be aware of what what you're handling. You know. You gotta be. Yeah. Uh, careful with all that you know this there's a lot of fake money going around um i forget who said it but the line that's kind of been going around a lot right now is uh violence is the language of the voiceless right i mean there's something about that and um you know yeah i um i don't remember who said it it. either but that's something that i've always believed to be you know the 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 root cause of things when you can't Mm -hmm. Imagine when people just don't listen to you, when you mm-hmm. are just not heard, no matter how loud you yell, mm-hmm. what can you possibly do? Richard Pryor was at one point, one of the most famous, if not the famous actors in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. We've talked about with Rodney Dangerfield had his moment and um, you know, uh, guys like uh, Jim Carrey had his moment, you know, where there's a bunch of movies in a row that it's like Jim Carrey is top billing. Richard Pryor had that moment too. Um, and uh, he was a really, really beloved, um, you know, comedian, public figure, actor, and everything. Dave Chappelle then had his moment as well between the Dave Chappelle show and, um, you know, um, you know, the movie, what was the name of that uh, pop movie that he made? And Half-Baked. 
half-baked, right? Like that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, that dude was absolutely the center and he's kind of back in a way, but at that time he was like the center of entertainment. You know, these two, these two men who represented this thing and, you know, they both stood up there and told these brilliant jokes. Both of them did a lot of material on race. Um, and, uh, you know, what's, um, what's really changed since then. You know, on one hand, we can look and say, well, you know, we had a black president. Okay, that's fine. Um, this man put a knee on this guy's neck, fucking sat there. And something about the structure and just the way that that authority works and, and what he felt like he could get away with, he and four and three other police officers lynched a person and, um, and thought that they would just get away with it without a problem. And um, God forbid if they're right. And so, I mean, if we think that the, that the protests are passionate now, imagine what will be if this man, you know, gets acquitted or something like that. Like, just imagine what that's going to be like. And what's really kind of, you know, not nice, but I think good about this is that, you know, the media is going to be following the trial pretty close. Um, once it gets started, like, they're going to be all over this case. This is going to be like O.J. Simpson. They're going to be all over this case, following the trial, everything else. And what we would hope is, is that the protests kind of keep up, you know, uh, kind of keep going along those lines. But yeah, it's uh, you know, terrifying and horrible. With with both Chappelle and Pryor, remember Pryor, mm -hmm. he was extremely beloved. He mm -hmm. had uh, Silver Streak and Stir Crazy mm -hmm. and Brewster's Millions. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that just come to the top of my head. What else did he do? Do you remember? He was in the original Muppet movie. He was a balloon oh, yes, salesman, which I watched like movie. two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He was in that. Um, what else did he do? I mean, we'd have to look up his IMDb, but certainly all of his stand-up specials that were really important. His special couple uh, hosting of SNL uh, that was uh, a really big deal. Um, and he and George Carlin kind of ran parallel in a lot of ways. Um, I think George Carlin used to make a joke about how he and Richard Pryor were like having a competition, like. You know, Richard Pryor had a heart attack, so he had a heart attack. He had a heart attack, Pryor had an attack. Then Richard Pryor lit himself on fire, and he was like, fuck that, I'm having another heart attack. <laughs> that, was like, that was like, uh, that was that joke there. Uh, yeah, no, I mean. I think that with, with Pryor, there was some sort of, like, attempt to denigrate his legacy because he, he did do drugs, and he... A lot. A lot, but the, the whole fire issue, I'm not my understanding of it was that he portrayed it as being an accident while freebasing, but really what it was, was just um, a mental breakdown and he wanted to kill himself. Yeah, totally. That's, that's, and, that's what it was. Yeah. And, but you can't come out and say that, but nonetheless, no. he kind of threw it back in everyone's face and in live on the sunset strip, he had that famous joke with the burnt, with the lit match saying, what's this? It's Richard Pryor running down the street. <laughs> Right. And so he, he, he owned it and he never, I don't think he ever lost the cachet that he got. And Chappelle in the same way, he was offered that $50 million deal by comedy central back in Oh yep. four. Yep. And he turned it down and people turned on him and said, you're crazy. You're stupid. Ungrateful. He must be on drugs. Yeah. He must be a crack addict. Yep. And to some extent, I think that whether he's telling the truth or not, I, I think it only makes sense if you believe he didn't want to be imprisoned by the system that would have begun dictating to him how he had to be and what he had to say. And so he'd rather, 
he knew that this is chess and not checkers. Yeah. Yeah. And he had to play that out in the long run. Because I he, think he probably learned from his predecessors. Yeah. He said that there was a white person who was there watching the show, watching some sketch, and he laughed in a way that um, made Dave feel, made Chappelle feel like um, he wasn't, he was laughing at, he really wasn't laughing with. Um, and he kind of laughed too hard in a way that made him feel really uncomfortable. And then he kind of realized that maybe he was making, making jokes that were meant to bring light to pretty serious issues of race. And uh, in the meantime, all those jokes really did was um, make racist people laugh, you know, and he, that, that's what, that's, that's kind of why he walked away from it. And um, that sure, sure seems like a good fucking reason <laughs> to walk away from well, it. You it know? worked out, it worked out perfect for him. I mean, he's truly one of the most revered comics um, alive. He's yeah. your age, is he? He's a little younger than me. Know. Yeah, he's, he, he won the Mark Twain Prize. I mean, not that the yeah. prizes matter at all to him. Yeah. Like, he's just a, he's a, he's a Rembrandt. He's yeah. a, you know, he's one of the great artists. And, and by walking away from it, that saved his career yeah. um, more than make it. Because the stuff yeah. that he's put out in the past couple of years, controversial Brilliant. as it is, thank God it's controversial. Yeah. Yeah, and and unbelievably brilliant, you know, it just is. off the charts brilliant. So um, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, I think there's only probably so far that we can go, um, you know, talking about like our sense of white guilt or something like that. You know, I don't, I don't think I, I have, you know, guilt. I don't, I don't ever have. I've never sensed guilt because mm. I, I have, I have often. I mean, I there's what can I do against an institution? You know, I stand up when I can and shout, you know, and I, you know, don't perpetuate it. Now we're all in a position where we can take more active roles. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you and I are encumbered by our daily lives. You mm-hmm. know, it's the thing that I've said about seeing so many young people out there. It's like, well, why aren't there more middle-aged people out there? It's like, well, we have jobs. I got kids that are going to college and, I, you know, I, frankly, that stuff still costs money. And yeah, is the root cause potentially this capitalistic society that ultimately caused all this? Okay, mm-hmm. great. Let's have that academic debate. That's not going to feed my girls. That's not no. going to, yeah. you know, e- educate them. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's also not going to keep me from, you know, <laughs> getting in trouble if I don't finish my work. It, it's, it, it, it is, yeah. and that's not an excuse. It is, um, well, maybe it is an excuse, but it's also helpful to know that we have the ability now to talk to our friends and to make sure that we all know that we're on, you know, that we're pushing it from the right side. Uh, much as I can, I've, you know, just been trying to get people aware of it. And I yeah. don't know if that, that matters worth the fuck, but, yeah. you know, you tell me. I'm, I'm, I we know. found, um, so my, I have a first cousin who lives in Minneapolis. And um, uh, she's been really connecting to local organizers because of the work that she does. She's got some nice connections there and has been able to get involved. So she passed on to us a couple uh, petitions to sign about defunding the uh, Minneapolis Police Department. Um, She also passed on to us other types of places to donate to um, all the various kind of bail funds that are being put together and things like that. 
Um, and so you can certainly go to those places. Um, she was so, she's so clued in and ahead of the game that she actually reached out and texted us um, a couple of mornings ago and was like, hey, listen, if you're gonna post anything for Black Lives Matter, don't do hashtag Black Lives Matter because it's burying the important organizing messages that are going out in social media um, because all these other things are going on there that aren't related to the actual organizing piece. So please don't do any hashtag, just write the phrase Black Lives Matter. And if you wanna hashtag anything, do BLM or Blackout Tuesday or whatever that was. And, um, and so because of her, I posted that on my Instagram page and like a couple hours later, CNN was running it as a story. Um, and so that's how kind of like ahead of the game that she's been. Um, so there's that. Um, and then there's, you know, as much as I can't look at a police officer and feel that real fear for my life is just not real. Um, at the same time, I can, you know, change the bubble that I have around me of the kind of post-racial mindset that I was operating from. Remind myself that there's really no such thing as post-racial for anyone who isn't white. Um, and that, um, and that I can kind of comport myself accordingly. So, um, the almost, I mean, I almost want to create like a, like a black privilege bubble in front of me, you know, like everyone cuts in front of me in line if you're African American, you know, um, you know what I mean? Like stuff like, like stuff like that, um, that I kind of feel uh, excited to do. And then the other piece is, uh, I finally got, um, a mask that's like a real mask and it's a black lives matter mask. Oh, I didn't even um, see what the logo was on earlier. Yeah, nice. so there's a little little fist there in the phrase uh, "Black Lives Matter." So that's my mask now when I'm um, when I'm walking around. So it's a little silent, little silent thing. When I was doing the rabbi thing, it was it was much easier for me to find protests because all I would do then is just create a protest. You know what I mean? You just call the other churches who are the main organizers and be like, "All right, where are you going? We'll add some bodies to your march, and we'll be there." Um, I don't have those connections anymore. So now I have to find the protests. And I got to admit, it's hard to do that. You know, I mean, finding a one where you understand that um, there's, you know, not going to be a lot of violence. There's not going to be whatever. I feel confident that I can maybe get away from situations if I had to. I'm still young enough and spry enough that I can do that. But like, you know, uh, to put my, I can't guarantee it and put myself in that situation is um, pretty scary. So, you know, I haven't hit up any of the evening protests or anything like that. But like what's going on in San Diego is just fucking nuts because, you know, they're like boarded up the target in Encinitas. Oh, I haven't even been over there. I didn't realize. Why did they that. do that? Yeah, they boarded up the target in Encinitas. They're boarding up the target near me in Rancho oh. Bernardo. What the yeah, fuck are they afraid of? And I, I can, I, I can address, we, I think I'll cut the, some of this stuff out that I'm about to tell yeah. you, but it's, yeah. uh, I, I can explain that to some extent. And I also corporate. Have, yeah. Yeah. Well, to some extent, but it's it's worse than that. Yeah. But first, I do want to say that there is one more thing that you and I can do. What's that? that isn't direct, and it, it is it may not ever pay dividends directly in form of praise of people, and mm -hmm. it's to teach our kids the right thing, and yeah. to make sure that they know the right thing. Yep. And to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, as Spike Lee said, always do the right thing, right? Always do the right thing. Yep. Always do the right thing. Got it? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Gone. Yeah. So it, always do the right thing. That's, you know, if, if you're hamstrung by your responsibilities, you have the ability to teach your kids, mm -hmm. to keep your kids from sinking into this historical pit of despair and misery and hate and pain.
Mm-hmm. And so that's important. Yeah. Now with the target Encinitas, the Encinitas target other places, I drove through Carlsbad the other night. There were buildings like along State Street that were boarded up. I mean, to some extent it is, we want to protect our property because we don't want to have to replace windows if they get broken. Mm-hmm. The question ultimately is what's the likelihood of that happening and how much of that <laughs> Josh just went zero. zero, zero. Yeah. And underlying that is an expression of disdain for the movement. Yeah. It is ultimately saying, fuck you, black lives matter. Yep. We don't believe in you. And the mm-hmm. fact that you're coming out here to March, we're going to lock you out of even seeing our possessions because this is our way of protesting you. We're not going to get out there and fight you, but we're also going to say there's nothing you can do to us. That's my interpretation of it. It's the same jibber jabber you find of people saying that there are busloads of Antifa being shipped places to create hazard. It's the same nonsense from 92, Josh, that when people were saying that, you know, the Crips and the Bloods were getting on buses to Las Vegas. It's psychotic yeah. racism. Yeah. 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 And bigotry. Yep. Yeah, it's um it's a problem. It's a problem. Um I mean the answer is always education, right? That's no matter it is. One hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. Because the the failure of the country to come along from this and to have people uh, chanting the president's name and anti um, anti BLM slogans at these protests mm-hmm. uh, is essentially foundational because it, it the educational system if if the information is there if the set of skills is there to assess the information that they're given then none of this would be there it would be a humane society it would be more humane you would still have the problems but you wouldn't have them as entrenched as they are remember it's important to keep a certain to to these people in power to keep a certain segment of america ignorant because it plays to their fears it plays to their emotions and is so long as you can have um, knee-jerk emotions on that on that very uh, atavistic, um, mm-hmm. reactionary side, then you're mm-hmm. going to remain in control of them and in control of your possessions. Yeah, and um, in rabbinical school, I had this teacher, this professor of history who used to talk about the history of anti-Semitism. And he drew a distinction between what he called anti-Semitism and anti-Jew. Um, those are two like very different things in terms of how they function. Um, an anti-Semite is an intellectual about it. They could even be friends with Jews, um, but they recognize how hatred of Jewish people is um, maybe potentially beneficial for them business-wise or politics-wise or whatever. Um, Anti-Jew is more of a visceral thing. Like, you don't know why you fucking hate Jews, but you fucking hate Jews. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's like where that's at. And then those people are manipulated by the anti-Semites. And the point that he would make is, you only really have to be afraid of the anti-Semites. You can't change the anti-Jews, but they're too dumb to really organize in a great way. 
It's the anti-Semites who are putting the funding into different places and, you know, continuing different narratives and choosing when to, you know, enact these anti-Jew feelings to then, um, you know, create for something horrible. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, the way that I tend to think about hatred like that. And I would imagine it's the same for African-Americans. That there are just people who just hate black people and they don't know why and they just hate them. You know, the, you know, 10th generation bigots. Um, and that shit has just been stewed in, in, you know, in a fucking pot for generations and generations. So it is like, you know, finely tuned hatred that these guys are just sort of born into. Um, and then there's the business people who recognize the value of, um, you know, creating uh, Jim Crow laws and then uh, laws beyond that that might as well be Jim Crow laws. Things like, um, you know, uh, uh, the crime bill from the 90s, right, which was completely and wholly designed to take um, black people down and to, you know, keep them um, in the in the mud, basically. And it's fucking, um, it's just... It's just insane and ridiculous. Um, I think, you know, there's a weird good sign, bad sign thing here in terms of just the amount of um, passion that's coming out of, um, you know, the white community for this, you know, that people are really getting out. And I mean, you mentioned this before. There is a picture of a surfer rally in Encinitas for Black Lives Matter, where they, you know, a couple thousand surfers like met up in Encinitas and put their surfboards in the word unity and then paddled out for a uh, um, for a big flotilla um, as a thing for Black, Black Lives Matter. And, you know, there are these great aerial shots of the beach and you look down and you're scanning for one African-American in the group and they're just not there, but they're out and doing it anyway, you know? And, um, and there's something to be said for, you know, first of all, I think younger people have been so, you know, um, you know, I guess, taught by us, their parents, and by people that are a bit older than us about, you know, not being racist and um, recognizing the value in all people, no matter the color of their skin or anything else. And this particular video is just so awful. And I think people feel motivated to hit the streets and feel a lot of anger. You double that with the presidency that a bunch of us hate um, for years. You double that with being stuck at home for a few months, and you've got like a perfect a uh, combination of things that um, create for a really unique opportunity. Toss on top of that, the fact that there's video after video now of protests of police like tackling the fuck out of white kids and, you know, white boys and white girls. Um, and like... And beating the shit out of them with batons. And beating the shit out of and, them with And batons. shooting tear gas directly at their heads. Yeah. And using pepper balls directly yeah. at their faces. Yeah. And doing things like, look, man, I practice law people call me nasty shit all day long mm -hmm. they call me bad things you know and mm -hmm. they yell at me without ever knowing me in court or in depositions or anywhere i go some mm -hmm. people even go so far as to try to kill attorneys all right that's too yeah. far but the people will yell and say nasty shit mm -hmm. i don't fight them yeah. you ha and if you're a cop you have to have the backbone yeah to not take it to the point yeah. where you're going to hurt them yeah. Yeah. Um, the only idea that I have so far about how to fix the police situation um, is that maybe we should make that just a job for women. <laughs> That's an interesting one. Um, That's my I... only idea for it so far. <laughs> and you, you see that, by the way, in certain professions where when women start to flood a profession, men tend to leave it. 
Um, so, you know, find a, a male pediatrician, for example. Um, find handful, male, handful. Not many. Not many. True. Chances are, I mean, I don't know what the percentage breakdown is, but if I was to guess, I'd say it's between 80 and 90% pediatricians for women. You're probably um, not right. OBGYN, same deal. Probably higher, you know, 90 to 95% are women. Um, and you see that, by the way, in certain leadership positions, like in synagogues, for example, when women started to be allowed to go sit on like executive boards and be presidents of congregations and things like that, they started entering the board and men started leaving. They started getting involved in the synagogue and men just took off. They, they were like, all right, this isn't our place anymore. And they left. Um, so either institute a law that says that only, only females can be police officers or just, you know, push it so that the percentage is up over 60, 70%. Um, and, uh, that's, um, and then, and then the men will just bail from that, that, uh, profession, basically. That's the only idea I have in terms of how to fix the police. D. Ray McKesson was on Simmons pod this week. And yeah, he was believe, great. He was great. Did you hear that statistic? I don't know if it was on this one or not. I heard so many different yeah. stats this week that when you get a, uh, a police force that is 35%, um, black. black the, then the incidents of violence drop dramatically. Yeah. Essentially, they essentially it stops happening. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. something to that, and you're talking about populating it with women. I mean, there California has instituted in business has instituted mm -hmm. a law that public companies um, have to have a female board member yeah. on on them. You can legislate this because it. I've never had the inclination just to be in the you know, circle jerk boys club. No. It's not, a, it's not something that I've ever aspired to. I had, yeah. you know, strong mom as a role model, I, yep. you know, and I have uh, surrounded myself by virtue of good luck with very smart women. And so yep. I don't, and I'm not intimidated by it because to me, people are people and yeah. it's not, I don't, you know, get my joy off of being a, you know, being a sweet bro. Yeah. It, it is, that's an interesting idea, Josh. And I think that there's something to forcing the diversity, going back to the ideals of the, the Warren court and the Burger court where mm -hmm. it was, you know, we had to actually litigate equality. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's the only way that you get it. You know, you don't get in life what you deserve. You get what you negotiate for, you know, that's, that's what they say. So the most real politic thing would be to, set a goal, make it sliceable and try to get it. Um, but it sure is fucking helpless, you know, I'm sure it's fucking helpless, but I don't know. Um, just take the time to, at least for me, remember that people I love are affected by this every day. Um, and, uh, and that, you know, um, privilege follows me everywhere, you know? So, I mean, I think that's probably the big thing that we take away from this. And then in terms of this podcast and what we do here, you know, what have we done is that dr drilled home the point of um, when you when you hurt, you tell a joke to feel better and to try to kind of figure out how to navigate through it just by using our sense of humor. We do that all the time, me and you both. Um, and uh, when someone's particularly good at telling jokes, especially and they write jokes and they know how to, you know, talk about what's going on, you really can encounter something pretty powerful. Um, and so I think, you know, for me as a comedy lover, it's time for me to listen a little bit closely, a little bit closer, maybe to, um, you know, some of these jokes like that and say, okay, wait a minute. Are we like, I'm laughing at this, but are we unpeeling something that I just don't really know about? 
and let me um, do a little bit of a deeper dive to try to kind of find it and then figure out how to adjust my attitudes and behavior, you know, along those lines. Um, so that's kind of what I take from it, but it's, it's horrible. Otherwise, what do you think? man? Yeah, no, I, I am, I'm with you. And uh, yeah. I think that that's a good way to wrap this up. I think that yeah, I agree. I, I, you know, I can tell because you're, uh, you know, you're, you're on video in this and we're, we're only going to post the audio, but it uh, looks like this one beat you up. I, I never thought I could yeah. beat up a six foot seven man, yeah. but I, you know, yeah. I, I think, I think this whole topic just did. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kicking my ass for sure. You know, cause it's, it's horrifying. It's really just horrifying. Um, and, uh, you know, just God, you know, our fucking, our, our, the president, I mean, I, I have to vote for a rapist now. <laughs> I mean, I there are only to. two options. They're both <laughs> rapists. And I have to vote for one of them now. You know, I have to vote Biden. Biden fucking wrote that law from the 90s. You know, I mean, this isn't a man with like a stellar reputation with the African-American community. Sure, he was the vice president for the first black president, but... It's not like he put in legislation in place that's been helpful for African-Americans, you know? I mean, it just feels hopeless. And, you know, you look at this and it's like, how can you not say that, um, that yeah, I mean, we're going to, you know, chances are, you know, 20 years from now, there'll be another comedian telling the same joke because the same shit is going on, you know? Um, Let's hope we've made some movement by then. I mean, yeah. I, you know, it's the, the problem is it doesn't just get better and stay better. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like your physical health. You have to maintain it. You have to be yep. vigilant. You have yep. to keep at it. Yep. And you know, it, it was it uh, uh, Martin Amos and King Kingsley Amos. Do you know those writers? No, uh, two, two very erudite English writers and Kingsley Amos, you know, wrote some things that were um, certainly patently racist for his, by our ears and probably mm -hmm. just generationally quote unquote, okay during that time right you know what i mean where where you just these epith yeah right Mark these epithets yeah. these epithets that yeah. and and martin amos a, a renowned writer of his own right you know he he admitted that he was guilty of uh in hearing some of the the same tomes but he was aware of it and conscious of it and so he didn't try to portray it and mm -hmm. he he said uh he said my father was a racist yes I suppose that by virtue of that, I'm a racist too. I'm just less racist than he is. And I hope that as we go on generation to generation, the less racist, the less racist, the less racist we all become yeah. because I, there can't be an inoculation per se, but we can yeah. move toward the right end. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and let that be the, let that be the, the process. Was it Martin Luther King who also said the, the arc towards justice bends something or other? I forget the, forget that quote. The, the arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. That's the one. I believe that, you know, I think I Sometimes believe that. Sometimes I do. Sometimes, Sometimes I do too. You know, then there are these watershed moments like, you know, how the fuck do we not have gun laws after Sandy Hook? You know, when you look different, at something like that. Different podcast. You get me so upset. Because, yeah. oh, you know, Willa turned 14 yesterday. Yeah, no, they're the same age as the Sandy Hook kid. Noah was in first yep. grade. 
one of the happened. kids one yep. of the kids that was killed was like three days younger than her yeah you know? and I, just, I remember seeing the list and going these were first graders these, were these girls yeah i know those kids yeah. yeah both both of our oldest were in first grade when that happened um so yeah 100 percent. i know these kids i know what this is you know i know what that looked like yeah that that was when i i really shut the news off for that um and in a weird way i'm actually turning it back on now um after this you know so wow. just uh just something but any get your, case uh, get your bent get your weights out start bench pressing doing curls yeah yeah we do we do anyway brother um right. i'll take us out uh thanks everybody for joining in uh for this episode um you know we hope uh that you know maybe some more good conversations came out of this um maybe let's uh i'll send you a link to some of those different action items that we can do maybe we can post it um when we put the episode up and um i feel like we're just doing our part a little bit more here so um and uh, if you're listening to this uh way down the road and it's years from the actual recording of this pops podcast you know we hope that things have gotten a lot better uh, but you can look back on this as a historical document and hear uh some pretty significant angst and anguish um coming through some normally i think lucky white white dudes so uh rock and roll talk to you next time